imagine dropping a sponge into a bucket of water. As the water seeps into the micro air pockets of the sponge, the sponge is compliant and gradually expands and doubles in size. You squeeze the sponge and the water pours out and it retains its original size. Now, imagine leaving the sponge out in the sun for a long time. The dried sponge is stiff and shrunken. When you drop the sponge into a bucket of water, it does not soak up the water like it used to. In interstitial lung disease, the sponge represents the lungs and the dried architecture represents scarred tissue. Today, our patient has interstitial lung disease and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, A Drop in a Bucket, An Approach to Interstitial Lung Disease. All right, time for a minute physiology. Interstitial lung disease, or ILD, is also referred to as diffuse parenchymal lung disease. It is a heterogeneous group of pulmonary disorders that affect the distal lung parenchyma. To easily understand ILD, it is important to highlight the basic anatomy of the respiratory system. The pulmonary alveolus, the primary site of gas exchange, shares a basement membrane between the alveolar epithelium and capillary endothelium. The alveoli group together to form a pulmonary acinus, which further clusters to form a functional unit known as the secondary pulmonary lobule that is supplied by a common pulmonary artery and bronchial and packaged by a fibrous septum. The pulmonary interstitium is comprised of this basement membrane, perivascular, perilymphatic, and surrounding fibrous connective tissue, which is the site of pathology in interstitial lung disease. In ILD, a toxic inhalational, infectious, or vascular trigger is thought to initiate an inflammatory cascade, which subsequently recruits cytokines and inflammatory cells, such as fibroblasts, to the area of damage. Dysregulated repair occurs as collagen is deposited in the basement membrane and forms thickened fibrosed tissue. This structural remodeling results in decreased gas exchange, stiff alveoli, and reduced lung compliance. So let's talk about our approach. Your first step in any patient encounter will to be assess whether your patient is stable or not. What is their GCS? What are their vitals? ILD is usually a slow progressive condition, but patients may present in respiratory distress during ILD exacerbations or from acute complications from the disease. Once your patient is stable, you can then move forward with your assessment. ILD comprises of over 200 heterogeneous pulmonary conditions. Unfortunately, a universal classification for ILD does not exist, but can be categorized broadly into four major categories. ILD of known cause, for instance, connective tissue disease, hypersensitivity pneumonitis, or drug-induced, idiopathic interstitial pneumonia, granulomatous ILD, such as in sarcoidosis, and rare ILD. We'll include a breakdown of each category in our infographic. ILD patients most commonly present with insidious and progressive exertional dyspnea, 
which is often initially misattributed to deconditioning or unresolved respiratory infections. The differential for dyspnea remains broad, and the diagnosis can be delayed by years, often after thorough cardiac and pulmonary investigations are performed. Patients may also present with a non-productive cough. Wheezing and chest pain are uncommon symptoms except for in sarcoidosis and should trigger the clinician to consider other complications of ILD, including pneumothoraces. Hemoptysis can also be seen in diffuse alveolar hemorrhage syndrome, lymphangioleomyomatosis, and granulomatous vasculitis. But secondary pulmonary infections or malignancies should also be investigated in patients with established ILD diagnoses. A rheumatological review of systems is important in identifying connective tissue disease, and it should be customary to ask about sicka symptoms, photosensitivity, Raynaud's phenomenon, arthritis, rashes, and systemic symptoms. Although absence of extrapulmonary symptoms does not preclude connective tissue disease as an etiology for your patient's ILD. Identifying risk factors can also help narrow the diagnosis in ILD. Age of onset and gender can increase certain suspicions for certain disease phenotypes. For example, connective tissue disease-associated ILD, sarcoidosis, and rare ILDs such as LAM and pulmonary Langerhans cell histiocytosis present predominantly in younger age groups between the second and fourth decade of life. Lymphangioleomyomatosis is exclusively seen in premenopausal women. On the other hand, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is commonly diagnosed in males over the age of 60. A key aspect in ILD is taking a detailed exposure history. Smoking history is relevant since certain idiopathic diseases, such as desquamative interstitial pneumonia and respiratory bronchiolitis, are purely smoking-related disorders. Prior radiation exposure and a medication history, particularly amiodarone, nitrofurantoin, and methotrexate, can also be helpful in identifying sources of drug-induced ILD. One should also ask about potential hypersensitivity triggers, such as domestic pets, including birds, the use of down pillows and feathers, and the presence of black mold in the house. Last but not least, a thorough occupational exposure history should include questions such as duration and type of work activities, exposure to silica, asbestos, coal, and beryllium, relationship between onset of symptoms and work exposure, improvement of symptoms away from work, and the use of personal protective equipment at work. The physical exam is nonspecific in interstitial lung disease. The respiratory exam may reveal exertional hypoxia and Velcro crackles or fine crackles from the opening of small airways heard during inspiration. These dry crackles have excellent sensitivity in pulmonary fibrosis, but may only be present in 20% of those with sarcoidosis and other granulomatous ILD. Nail bed clubbing can be seen in certain disorders, such as interstitial pulmonary fibrosis or asbestosis, but often indicate advanced disease if present. Cardiac abnormalities such as core pulmonale and pulmonary hypertension are also late findings of the disease. Extrapulmonary manifestations that are specific to connective tissue disorders, for example, alopecia, telangiectasia, sclerodactyly, and other cutaneous features, can point towards certain autoimmune disorders. Onto our workup. Blood work in ILD is most important when there are suspicions of connective tissue disease. At baseline, clinicians should order a CBC, basic metabolic panel, and liver function tests. An autoimmune panel, including an ANA, ENA, rheumatoid factor, anti CCP, ANCA, and CRP, 
should also be ordered to rule out rheumatic diseases. If there are concerns for vasculitis, a urinalysis can be helpful in identifying possible glomerular involvement. Pulmonary function tests and six-minute walk tests are helpful for assessing the severity of disease and providing longitudinal assessment of the progression of disease. It is important to always include carbon monoxide diffusing capacity tests or evaluation of the patient's DLCO. Since up to 10% of ILD patients may have normal spirometry and body plethysmography results, particularly early on in their disease. Classically, ILD is associated with restricted lung volumes with low diffusion capacity. The diagnosis of ILD also heavily relies on the high-resolution CT scan, which involves volumetric imaging of the chest that is performed with the patient's supine. Certain patterns and distribution of fibrosis, opacities, nodules, and cysts can narrow the differential diagnoses further. Specifically, a usual interstitial pneumonia pattern, or UIP, is defined by basal-predominant honeycombing, traction bronchiectasis, and reticulation with the absence of grain glass opacities, and is pathognomonic for IPF, but also seen in connective tissue disease and chronic hypersensitivity pneumonitis. The gold standard for diagnosis is a surgical biopsy, often with video-assisted thoracoscopic surgery, or VATS. However, lung biopsies are high-risk procedures and are indicated only in fit patients with non-diagnostic clinical and imaging findings. Samples need to be taken from multiple lobes, and the procedure should be avoided in high-risk patients with high oxygen requirements, severely reduced FVC or DLCO, pulmonary hypertension, or the presence of multiple comorbidities. The decision to undergo a surgical biopsy should always be made in consultation with a multidisciplinary ILD team, including the respirologists, the surgeons, pathologists, and radiologists. Treatment for ILD is dependent on the underlying pathology. For acute exacerbations causing respiratory failure, intravenous corticosteroids is first-line treatment. For hypersensitivity pneumonitis and drug-induced ILD, avoidance of causative agents is key to preventing further progression. High-dose systemic corticosteroids for up to 12 weeks or more may be required to suppress inflammation for acute hypersensitivity. Similarly, in symptomatic pulmonary sarcoidosis and connective tissue disease ILD, systemic steroids are the mainstay of therapy, followed by steroid-sparing agents such as MMF, azathioprine, and other disease-specific anti-inflammatory agents. For all types of ILD, it is important to introduce non-pharmacologic management, including smoking cessation, vaccination, supplemental oxygen when needed, and pulmonary rehabilitation. Ultimately, lung transplant is the only curative treatment that can prolong survival, and patients should be evaluated early if transplant is an option. Early palliative care involvement may be beneficial in optimizing end-of-life care for non-transplant candidates with severe and progressive disease. Time for a Medicine Minute. Did you know that the Panther IPF trial published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2012 has completely changed our management for patients with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis? Patients with IPF were randomized to three groups, including combined therapy consisting of NAC, prednisone, and azathioprine, NAC alone, and placebo alone. The study was stopped early due to high rates of mortality, hospitalization, and adverse effects in the combined group. 
Given this information, prednisone is no longer a mainstay treatment in IPF, contrary to our management in many other ILDs. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled A Drop in a Bucket, an Approach to ILD. This episode was written by Dr. Jungin Choi, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Janice Lung, respirologist, and Dr. Laura Cooper, general internist. This episode was recorded and produced by Allison Lai. Sound editing by Nafis Hussain. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and is executively produced by Zara Morali, Leah Karanopoulos, and Allison Lai. Theme song by Lashman Vizantha Mohan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we have an associated infographic and extra resources at our website at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.